The following is presented by Oxford Recovery Centers, where healing begins on News Talk 760 WJR. Here's your host, Marie Osborne. And welcome in, everyone. I'm Marie Osborne. We have Dr. Tammy Peterson, the founder and CEO of the Oxford Recovery Center, and Casey Diskin, the executive director of Autism Services for Oxford Recovery. I hear you have some exciting news for us, Dr. Tammy. Yes, we're really excited to share with your listeners about our new addition. We're adding 32,000 square feet to our existing Brighton location, and it's a brand new autism center, unlike anything anybody has ever built before. It's unique. It's fun. It will be an amazing learning environment for our kiddos that come because we really feel that ABA does not have to be sterile. When we return, we'll hear how Oxford Recovery Center's autism services are different and how they're unique. Plus, we'll talk more about the building project, too. Stay with us here on WJR. Welcome back to Where Healing Begins on WJR. Presented by Oxford Recovery Centers. Once again, Marie Osborne. And welcome back to the Oxford Recovery Center show here on WJR. Alongside us today, as always, Dr. Tammy Peterson, the founder and CEO of the Oxford Recovery Center. And joining us today, Casey Diskin, the Executive Director of Autism Services. Casey, we've talked with you before. We're so glad you're back. Dr. Tammy, I understand your autism program is exploding. So what makes Oxford Recovery Center so unique and so different from other centers? Well, let me first tell you about our expansion. So we moved into our current building that's 32,000 square feet in um, July of 2018, thinking we would have plenty of space. Well, within a few months, (laughs) we were busting at the seams. We just added an additional 6,500 square feet for OT, PT, and speech in our current building to meet those kids' needs. And we've added another 3,000 square feet to our Camp ABA, which is directly across the road from our main campus. So we've expanded because we want to make sure that we can make accessible the best care possible for our little kiddos that come. One reason I love working here is because I've been at other places where there's a long wait list. I mean, it's very uncommon. We've helped parents on the phone where they've been calling and what they normally get is a voicemail to leave a message. And, you know, they they don't get a call back and there's a year long wait list. Um, I'm proud to say that instead of ever having a wait list so far um, at Oxford, we've just created more space. We've just renovated and, and expanded our building to be able to keep up with the need. So when Marie asked us what makes us different, um, I think Casey and our background coming in, we were really frustrated with the current services that our kiddos with autism were receiving. So we wanted to create a totally different approach to ABA. You're going to hear us say again, ABA doesn't have to be sterile. Speech therapy and OT doesn't have to be sterile. There's more to just putting a child on a swing in OT or sitting a young child at a table for speech therapy, that's not naturally how we learn to talk. And ABA does not have to be in a room giving a child candy 
to reward them when they do a correct behavior. I think the take home is it doesn't need to look like one thing. Um, and we pride ourselves on therapies that don't always look the way you would expect, but do look the way that those skills look in the environment. So we would see, you know, uh, kids socializing on a playground. So speech is going to look that way. We would see kids playing catch. And that might be what OT or PT looks like. So we're really mimicking uh, what we're going to see in our environment versus what traditional and typical therapy looks like. And when we're talking about ABA, I just want to let our listeners know, I know that if you're a parent with a child who needs these services, you're going to know what that is. But for others, ABA is Applied Behavioral Services. And that's what, the, of course, the two of you are referring to. Can I just go back on one point? You said the waiting lists are sometimes a year long. Two oh, things. I can't, I can't imagine what the frustration must be for a parent. And the bottom line is, you have children then who are not receiving needed services. Or, or places might say there is no waiting list, but we can't get someone to you for months, you know, for a month or two. That is a waiting list. Um, our, our, we can get, um, we prided ourselves, as I said, at always finding a solution uh, because these kids need support now and these families need support now more than ever. Yeah. In that year wait, Oh, that can be detrimental to the child. We know those early years are so critical and we don't want to waste any of their time. And it's frustrating for a parent. They're trying to reach out to give their child the services they need. And then they feel those doors just closing. And Dr. Tammy, you've always said you believe autism is a medical condition. Absolutely. I think that's another thing that makes us unique is we have a an approach that we look at autism as a medical condition, which allows us to really broaden our treatment. So very unique, we have under one facility, we have a medical doctor, we have nurses, we have hyperbarics, we have your traditional OT, PT, and speech, ABA, but we have a culinary art chef on staff. So um, diet is really important with these children to make sure that we're getting them the correct food. And I love sometimes an OT will say, I need a specific texture or speech therapist to work with them on their feeding program. And our culinary art chef can actually create that or work with the parents on how to feed their child something besides chicken nuggets, French fries, and pizza. And I've been into the traditional, the traditional world. And as soon as I came here and we started really treating um, the medical, so the task refusal or the food refusal, instead of when we start treating it with nutrition support, we're seeing more progress in things like speech than when we're ignoring it Mm -hmm. and just going with the therapies alone. Tenfold. We've seen way more progress. And just here in the last minute, I just want to go back over something that both of you said early on, and that is that you want to mimic what the real world is like at your center, not what traditionally was done for these youngsters. You want them to be able to have a real world experience. Absolutely. And that's exactly what our new building is going to mimic. It's really going to mimic that real world experience. And We are just so excited. Um, I think we get to talk to your listeners a little more. Absolutely. We're going to be right back here on the Oxford Recovery Center show on WJR, along with Dr. Tammy Peterson and Casey Diskin. Stay with us. (music) 
Dr. Tammy, it seems like autism diagnoses are on the rise. What are you doing to prepare for the growing needs of this community? Well, right now we've got two things that are helping us grow. We've created in, we have two properties in Brighton and one we created what we call Camp ABA, which I think is like the coolest thing ever. And in the school year, it's ABA Academy. The um, second thing we're doing is like we've shared is we're adding the 35,000 square feet to our main campus. But can we share with you about our Camp ABA right now? Yes, please, because everyone's got camp on the brain now, especially with so many restrictions being lifted this summer. So many kids are heading off to camp, and thankfully, kids with autism can also head off to camp. So this is a little different than your week-long camp that you send your child to. This is actually ABA, insurance covered, has OT, PT, and speech built right into it, but it's in a camp environment. So we have 10 acres in Brighton that back up to Island Lake State Park. It's a beautiful property. We've got a 7,200 square foot building there that we just did a total remodel again on. And the kids are having camp, but it's ABA, but in a camp-like center. It kind of comes into to what we do already. So we, we talked last segment about wanting to create environments that we want our kids to be successful in and then making that therapy. So ABA just refers to the way in which something is taught, um, not necessarily what needs to be taught or how it needs to be taught. So what we do is we, we're very careful with our verbiage. So everyone calls it camp. Parents tell their kids they're going to camp. We call it camp there. And uh, because we want our kids, the goal is for them to go to camps, sleepaway camps, all the, the, the camps their friends are going to and be successful. So when we're there, each child has a therapist. Um, just like traditional ABA, um, they are working on the same things they would be working on in any ABA clinic, but the targets are different and the reinforcement or the fun playtime is camp oriented. So there's nature, we did camp craft, arts and crafts, music every day. Um, We uh, get patches like they earn oh, and, and you know, that. boy scouts or girl scouts. We got our compass patch this year or this week. Um, they do and flag racing every we, morning. We they do flag raise racing. Raise the flag like you would at camp. And, but we're able, um, it go, just goes to show kind of our mentality with creating an environment, um, that, um, a good environment for kids and a fun environment for kids to receive the therapy they need. And it's not only with the ABA. Like I went there the other day in speech therapy, the speech therapist was on her back laying in the grass. Her patient was laying there right there on the grass and they were doing speech therapy outdoors Mm -hmm. in the sun. We did OT. Um, We made friendship bracelets just like you would at camp. Um, So it's every therapy has really, um, the, the therapists have like really dove in and, and gotten in there and created camp for the kids and they're having a ball. And tell me the benefits, because I certainly know the benefits to my kids when they were young from having, you know, a rigorous academic school year, but then being able to relax a little and go to camp in the summer and maybe get some learning time in, but in a more relaxed environment. That's what this sort of sounds like. You're still hitting all the benchmarks that are necessary, but it's in a more... uh, relaxed or open environment. And as you said, Casey, a more creative environment. What are the benefits for that? School is 
that setting is pretty temporary, right? For the rest of our lives, we're not sitting in a classroom, but for the rest of our lives, we are socializing. Um, and we want, so I think it gives an opportunity for that. Um, and it does create, I don't know if I would say it's more relaxed, but it's certainly mm -hmm. more socially based and more to do with their initiation to play with their friends versus adults kind of contriving those scenarios for them. Yeah, I love watching them play tag, um, play kickball, um, play catch, all things that you would see a child do in a neurotypical camp environment. But maybe what's behind the scenes is our OTR, PT are giving them instructions on how to do that. Or the behavior therapist is prompting them on how to go to their friend and ask them to play appropriately. And they're yeah. learning how to earn rewards for their little camp badges. You know, they have things they have to do and to earn them. And then just like camp at the end of the week, talk about what they get. This is at so the end cute. of the week. We, we do, um, it's called a, a feather ceremony where they can earn feathers. Um, so in each activity, such as we have dance and drama, uh, nature, as I said, camp craft, each leader stands up and provides like special awards to kids that really went above and beyond that week. Um, I think more than anything else, I, I went to camp as a kid. I grew up at a camp. It builds confidence and confidence is needed for learning. And often these, our kids are, um, are not given opportunities to build their confidence and this will give them that. Yeah. What an important component, building confidence that should be built in everywhere. And thank goodness you've identified that and identified it in a way that promotes learning and promotes growth, uh, in, in, in their lives. So talk a little bit about how you're using your spaces, Dr. Tammy. I mean, we're talking about thousands of feet here. I know that there's this outdoor area, but talk a little bit more about the advantages of having so much space. Well, it just, and I think if we're coming up, we'll talk more about our new addition, but let me go back. Like with camp, the advantage that we can do is we can take a child who has the abilities to go into a camp environment versus some of ours that stay in main campus. So maybe some kids have need a little more restricted environment versus kids who can have more of a natural. We can meet their needs um, with our different environments that we have. And even in the school year, we don't have camp in the school year, just like we don't go to camp year round. Mm -hmm. So we take that same building and we flip it to, we call it ABA Academy or it's school. So what we do is just like our kids are in camp for their ABA in the school year, they're in a classroom setting for ABA. So they still have their one-on-one -on -one therapist. We actually hired a special ed teacher who is teaching the kids school and academics are important, but what's really important is for our children to learn the proper behaviors for a classroom, how to handle being in an environment that there are a lot of kids talking, how to work in teams, how to attend to the teacher versus their para or one-on-one, -on -one. Um, all of the skills that you need to be successful in a classroom. You so know, I had a kid today, I worked with a parent today who said, we have a uh, young client who will work for to work with a, a Batman house, play with a Batman house. And his words to me were, what happens in school? He can't bring the Batman house. And he's right. He can't. So um, what will hold that child back potentially is that he's working for like tactile material reinforcers. So what, uh, what ABA Academy does is teaches the skill of internal motivation, 
um, other motivators to get him, like maybe he's motivated by a star chart or something that will transform or transfer to school um, so that when they do go back into the school environment, they're more successful and they're more in a mainstream classroom. In all of our locations, whether it's Troy or two Brighton locations, really simulate preparing a child for a neurotypical environment, for a real world. So we had lunch rooms with the lunchroom tables you will see. The kids go to art, to music, to gym. They do not have iPads for reward. They do not have candy for reward because they're they're not that's not a neurotypical environment. If you want to be successful in a classroom, saying I'm going to mainstream my child without giving them the skills to be successful is not setting your child up for success. Where we can take the child and set them up for success by putting them in scenarios um, that will actually mimic what they will experience in the real world. And they won't lose any academic time because we have a teacher. So it's really, honestly, this is the way ABA is done in other countries. Um, It is allowed in the classroom. And so we've just created that environment because we've seen it work other places. Can you quickly tell me as we wrap up this uh, segment of the program, tell me a little bit about the feedback that you get from parents and most importantly from the kids. Oh, the the kids. I uh, the, the kids love being successful in school and, and getting that positive teacher attention um, or positive camp counselor attention. They love making friends. We have a young man who has his first birthday party with friends this year because of Camp ABA. So we're, we're, uh, it's it's very positive, all of the feedback from the kids. And they're just having fun. They don't know that they're in therapy. Right. We don't say this is your therapist or you're in therapy or it's time to sit down and do ABA or your trials. We're just at camp having fun. And the learning is taking place. You're listening to Dr. Tammy Peterson, the founder and CEO of the Oxford Recovery Center, along with Casey Diskin, the executive director of Autism Service at the Oxford Recovery Center. When we come back, we'll be talking a little more about Camp ABA Campus, what exactly is there, and how it can benefit the students. Stay with us here on WJR. Now back to Where Healing Begins from Oxford Recovery Centers. Once again, here's Marie Osborne. We're back with Dr. Tammy Peterson, the founder and CEO of the Oxford Recovery Center, and Casey Diskin, the executive director of Autism Services at Oxford Recovery Center. Uh, Ladies, so much to talk about when you talk about Camp ABA and all the wonderful things that are happening. But Dr. Tammy, I understand that the new center will have some very unique features. So can you outline some of them and tell us more about them? Yes, we are really excited about this. We've been working on this for almost two years with our vision of what do our kiddos really need, looking at the autism population and their needs. And we knew we wanted to add more space for our ABA clients, but we again want to make sure that we're putting in a real world experience. So in, um, so our building, our expansion is 35,000 square feet. Literally, when you walk in, a huge chunk of it is actually a village, and it's going to look like a village. It's thousands of square feet. Um, it turns to concrete. 
And we have to say the roads with curbs and it's curbs are funny, but we're really obsessed with the curbs and I can explain <laughs> more about that later. We really wanted to think about the mindset. So we have our young kids come in and we watch them every morning and our building, if you've seen it, if you haven't, you should come. It's beautiful. Our building is beautiful. Um, it looks like a medical office. It looks like, um, you know, it looks like that. And so when our kids are walking in, they're excited to be here. They're bright eyed. We really want to expand on that so that when they're walking in, it looks like the world around them. It looks like a town. Um, and we also want, as they walk back to therapy, not just walking down, you know, a hallway or a medical hall to walking on sidewalks so that they're also working on street safety. Um, and their kind of like mental journey as they walk back to their treatment room of I'm in an outdoor space, I'm in the world around me versus I'm here, you know, in therapy. It is so important for individuals with autism to have visuals. And this is like the ultimate visual. So let me give you a visual. So when you walk in to the right, you'll see the typical reception area. But as you move forward, there is actually a and coffee house. Now these will actually be working. Um, they're not, we're not asking the public to come in in droves. We need some people coming in because we're going to be um, explaining more about why it will be functioning real world. We don't want to fake it. We want to make sure it's real. So you'll see a coffee house. And then to the left is a park. There's live plants in it. There's a little amphitheater, there's park benches. And so the kids can um, get a coffee with mom, you know, maybe the child will even order a coffee for mom and then they can sit in the park and wait for their therapist to come. Behind the park, there is a huge playscape. So again, an outdoor environment with a playscape that holds about 40 kids. So again, a very real world scenario. There'll be park benches around for the caregivers to sit down and watch the child there. So they're going to be able to learn several things. So if you think about those environments, when you're playing in a park or you're playing at a playscape, you need to see mom or whomever's with you. You don't necessarily need to be holding their hand, but you need to be able to see them. You also need to have appropriate skills for playing with other their peers, with other friends. You, um, then if you continue behind the coffee house, you'll actually see the roads that lead around to a real village. There'll be a bakery, all gluten-free. There'll be a smoothie shop. There's a pet store, a grocery store, a dentist. There's all of these types of stores that you would find in the real world. So the kids may earn money that they can go shopping. Um, we have a gift shop there, or they can um, get their lunches there or they can just use it for when I'm walking on downtown, mom holds my hand and I walk towards the store side is mom's walking on the curb side. Just to start teaching the safety them, stuff. you hold hands when you're in the store, you may not hold mom's hand, but you got to be right next to her or some children will teach to hold the hand. We don't grab things off the shelf. Um, how to go up and order their smoothie. Oh, we have an ice cream store too. We're excited about that. We'll be making our own homemade <laughs> ice cream there. So it's a real active that they can learn the proximity, how to stand, when to hold mom's hand, how to go to the counter and order something, how to find stuff off the shelf. In the higher up functioning the child's abilities are, they may be working on what you get for dinner. So it's a very broad scale. And then on the road, 
We actually have tricycles that we use here for therapy, all in the halls. You'll always see kids on their bikes or tricycles with their therapist, but now we'll actually have stop signs. We have two-wheelers and- too. We have some kids that oh, brought yeah. their two-wheelers. But for uh, for us, I think that it's really easy for parents, you know, especially kids that are parents that have kids with special needs, um, you know, they're always worried about elopement or any kind of safety um, in, in public, you know, people don't know that their child needs, um, maybe special help. And so there's a lot of anxiety, we'll call it surrounding that. So what this gives is a safe space. This is a space where you can test to say, okay, you can go play, but you need to stay where I can see you. And the, the, um, if they, if that doesn't go well, there's no, uh, safety concerns. We're inside the building. There are other people there. Whereas in a real park, you can't really take that luxury to try. And many providers are telling their parents like, oh, well, he just needs to be where you can see him or he just needs as much assistance as he needs to do this. Well, what does that mean when the the other side of that could mean him getting hurt or somebody else getting hurt or um, an elopement or him running away? Like that's not something that parents can really do until this center. and, and also I get the impression this is so, it's not an intimidating atmosphere here, not right. only for the parent, but also for the child, that this is just an inviting place to be, an inviting place to learn these social uh, rules and social norms. Well, it should be fun. Therapy should right. be fun. ABA should be fun. Parent, parents should be picking up their kids and they should have the same reaction that they do when their kids go to day camp or a friend's house somewhere that's fun. We want that same, no, not yet, five more minutes. And we have that here. And now we're going to have even more of it because we have more cool stuff. And it's all preparing them for the real world. So our little kiddos actually start in smaller rooms, but then they keep building up. So after they may be in a room with three children with dividers, and then they'll be in a larger room with dividers all the way up to a large room with no dividers with multiple kids in the room. That's helping them take those steps they need to get into a neurotypical school environment where they can handle the sounds. We have a large gym that's loud and echoey. We have an art room, a music room, all of the things, a lunch room that they would have in a neurotypical environment, but they need the skills to be successful. And one of the things you're going to see for us is that we don't, we're not afraid of behaviors. Behaviors are normal. Everyone has them. Um, so we do a lot of things to create, as we said, the natural things that will happen around us. So we create gyms that are that are as echoey as any other gym. We wouldn't put any sound dampening in there. And that's a choice. Um, we don't put any fixtures on our lights to make them any less bright. Um, we do teach self-advocacy. So we do teach children to advocate for themselves if they need um, accommodations. However, we are cognizant that that will limit um, their exposure um, to the world. So we do contrive scenarios that will happen. If they love that red marker, if they're in art, they love that red marker, maybe that red marker isn't available because we'd rather work through that stress with us in a safe space than in you know the classroom where um, what they're not with people that they know and trust necessarily. We even created a water room and it's going to have the sprinklers in it. It has a sound system so we can make a thunderstorm. Often our kids are afraid when they hear a thunderstorm. Well, now we can actually let them play. Now, obviously, you don't put your child out when there's lightning out, but a child needs to know it's not something to be afraid of. 
And so we created where they'll be able to bring their bathing suits and go right into the water room and play and hear that rain and hear maybe some thunder in the background, but give them to know that you're okay. You don't have to hide in your room under a pillow and be afraid of the thunderstorm. We should probably bring our dogs in there too. I should bring my yes, my son could benefit from this room. I didn't want to leave this segment without asking about that water room because I was curious about that myself and didn't understand what that actually meant for the students. But again, it's the effort to get them acclimated with real world scenarios, but in a protected environment. Casey, as you said earlier, it's an environment where if a mistake is made, there are people there to help. There are people there watching. And it's just a learning, a teaching moment, a learning moment, as opposed to a crisis of some kind. Right. We all have those moments, don't we? Oh, yes, we all do. We want to continue here on WJR with the Oxford Recovery Center. Of course, we have Dr. Tammy Peterson, the founder, along with us today, and the executive director of Autism Services, Casey Diskin. When we talk, when we come back, we'll talk more about the new center and all that it has to offer. Stay with us. Welcome back to Where Healing Begins. Dr. Tammy Peterson is always uh, joining us, the founder and CEO of the Oxford Recovery Center. Always a pleasure to learn more about the Oxford Recovery Center. And also today, Casey Diskin joining us, the Executive Director of Autism Services. Dr. Tammy, I'd like for you in our closing segment here to talk a little bit more about what makes the Oxford Recovery Center in this special, special place so different from other places. Because as we know, there are other places where people who have children with autism can get services. So what makes it so different? We really have a very different approach to our autism program. And that's why you'll see we have people from all over the country come, especially during the summer, to spend the summer with us to give their child the care. And you don't pack up your whole family and move them or a mother and a child and move them for one to three months because you can get the same thing elsewhere. And I think our whole approach, you know, that the fact that we see it as medical, so we treat the whole child, and that's really very research-based to make sure we're addressing their inflammation, their gut pain they may have. We're really looking at the entire child. But the vision we have is to provide everything under one roof in a very synergistic mode. And we don't just say synergistic. We live it here. So if a child has ABA, OTPT speech, any medical consultation, neurofeedback, it's all under one roof that the therapists are working together for one goal. Um, and there are a lot of places that say that. I mean, there's a lot of places that have ABA, that have speech, that have occupational therapy. But speaking as somebody who, who helped design this program with Dr. Tammy, it wasn't until we really saw the way in which these practitioners were taught to treat autism and how incredibly different they are. Uh, we devised something called barriers meetings, which we are the only clinic I know that does this, where uh, a particular clinician will discuss a barrier they're having. So the best example I'd say is, is verbal behavior, is to speak, right? Um, a lot of our children are learning to speak. Um, so, you know, the ABA therapist will call a meeting and say, you know, I can't get um, Tammy to respond to greetings. I can't get her to say hi to me, right? It's just an example. And each modality has a particular opinion. You know, we all sit there and each modality will tell us 
why they believe, which therapists, why they believe it's their scope of practice. Right? OT, PT, speech, ABA, when she's saying, well, no yep, so different therapists. So they all have a say. They all have a say oh, then. And they all think it's them. They all think it's their, their thing. And they're doing it differently. So can you imagine if you're a child with a, a language deficit mm-hmm. and you're working on how to communicate, they want to communicate, but every therapist you go has a different approach, right? So what we do is we decide, and sometimes, you know, through this conversation, who's, who's whose job it's going to be to take that next step and take the lead on this. Tammy's not responding to hi, whose job is this? And, you know, we will decide whether it's speech, occupational, um, or ABA. And once we do, all the providers and the families support that practitioner or that therapist for a particular amount of time until we meet again and see where the progress is. And since we've started doing that, We've had, it's like we're all a horse and carriage and we're all finally, all the horses are driving in the same direction finally. And these kids are just flying and these therapists are learning. I mean, I learn every day from what these therapists have to say. And what about the parents' role in all this? Are they also updated on how you're coming about, uh, how you've made these decisions for their child? Oh, yeah. So we have multidisciplinary meetings where parents come in and each therapist comes in and talks about particular goals. Um, they are with us every single step of the way, every single day. Um, a prerequisite, I would say, of being in the arts program is to be, a, you know, be able to be there and receive the caregiver support or the parent support um, from our therapists. And we do offer the, where the BCBA um, communicates directly with the parent. Mm-hmm. Something else that's different is the ratio. So um, your behavior therapists are your one-on-one working directly with the child, but your BCBA is a master level um, provider that is actually creating the programming and making sure the program is done correctly. Um, Why don't you talk about some of the ratios and how you do the auditing? Many of our uh, BCBAs have come to us in supervisory positions. So almost all of them were like clinical directors, other places, um, but they came to us because of our ratio. A lot, almost all of them felt they could not do the work that they were intended to do because many of them had caseloads of 14, 14. And that was in home. Um, our providers have, um, they do uh, 15% supervision where other clinics do 10, which means of uh, the total time that a client spends here, their BCBA is with them 15 to 20% of the time. 15 is minimum. Where um, any other clinic I know is is 10% at this point, which means they have a caseload of only six to eight versus uh, 14. So it's about half of the caseload um, that other uh, other places have, which allows them to really do the work that um, and spend the time with their clients that they need to spend. And, and I can also... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I can also imagine that if they're spending that much more time with their client, they can make those little minute adjustments as they go along in their approach to how they're dealing with it. Is this working? Is this not working? And you can make those minor adjustments as you move along. Right. I mean, these are children. They're, they're, not, they're not going to always, no one acts the way you would expect somebody to act all the time. If that was the case, we would all just buy books and we would just program you know, right. each other's behavior. Of course that's not, but they have to be able to spend the time with these, with their clients and with the families. And then we really monitor um, how accurate our data is. So we do data collect on um, electronic devices. So it's very, it's live. We can make sure we can refer back to how the children are doing. Every decision is made by data. It's not 
I think he's doing well at this task. It's all data driven. Oh, you would be you would be surprised at how many um, parents coming in and are saying, "Well, I was taught that when he does this, I should ignore it." Well, we do uh, what's called a, a functional behavioral assessment. We do that and determine that the reason for this behavior, the function, is not even in line with that advice. But we just assume children, we should just ignore this behavior and. And behavior tells us things. It's meant to serve a function. So we really need to do, um, we need to do the, take the data and, and, and follow the science as we were intended to do in order to make clinical decisions about our kids. So besides being synergistic in our approach where all of our therapists work together, we also do not believe in food or electronics as a reward. The food reward really bothers me. Yes, I, I think about it as, as not only a clinician, but as a parent, um, you know, if I packed my child uh, a snack and my child went to school and some, and an adult opened my child's lunchbox, took that snack, put it on their lap and said, okay, touch your nose. And I'll give you one of what, you know, some of the snack. I would be livid. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this is, this is his food. We should not be restricting it. We should not be treating children uh, the way we would treat, you know, a dog when we're training um, or um, anything less than, um, which I think has become normalized in this field. And I think it's really wrong. Oh, or Skittles. Skittles. I can't tell you how many times parents are told Jesus. they have to bring a bag of M&Ms, a bag of Skittle that touch your nose. Here you go. Um, and our program is proof that you can do this without cheap reinforcers. Uh, you do need to have a really cool facility. Uh, the kids are <laughs> Nobody does anything, you know, everything for nothing, but we have the facility and they're having fun and they don't need the use of uh, a food or technology. And a reward can be playing with your friend. Should be. That's, mm-hmm. that's what we want them to have is their reward. Mm-hmm. And a very rich reward, that would be for sure. Dr. Tammy Peterson, it's always a pleasure to have you on board to talk about the Oxford Recovery Center. You are the founder and CEO, of course, of ORC. And joining us today, Casey Diskin, the Executive Director of Autism Services. You're always such a delight and always bring great insight into the show. We thank you both for being with us, spending some time with us here today. If you have a child with autism or know someone who does, make sure you call 248 248- 486-3636 and let the Oxford Recovery Center help that child reach their full potential. That's 248-486-3636. And thank you for joining us today on Where Healing Begins. Where Healing Begins has been presented by Oxford Recovery Centers.